Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are back in the realm of books. We are going into Persuasion, chapters one through five. It's so exciting. <laughs> I am very excited to be back with these books. I know. I feel like because we're going to be recording this, even though it's coming out over like two months, we're recording it all in a week. So I've been mm-hmm. like concentrating on persuasion for like two weeks now. And yes, so I found a lot of new things about it that I never really noticed before. So I'm really excited to talk oh, good. about it. <laughs> I think I was telling you before we started recording about how, because we had done the adaptation, an adaptation of it before, and I'm essentially just picturing all the scenes that were in the adaptation into this book. And <laughs> like these characters have to look the same and sound the same. And I think it makes it more fun for me to read. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying it. I love this book. Although I feel like the adaptation we watched was a little more melodramatic than the feel of the book because the book is (laughs) so like quiet and unassuming. (laughs) I mean, well, Anne is at least, and since we're mostly with her the whole time. (laughs) Yes. I, I, yeah, that I I didn't notice that until you said it. Melodramatic. She's less melodramatic in the book. Although she, she does have a lot of stuff going on in her head. <laughs> <laughs> I think once Wentworth shows up is when she starts to become way more melodramatic, but it's, <laughs> it seems like, you know, with her family and Lady Russell, she's just like, well, I'm not used to talking, so I guess I just won't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay. Poor Anne. She's such a complicated person. <laughs> I know. What What I like a lot about this book, though, is so far in what we've read, I feel like I really love Anne a lot more in the book than I did in the adaptation. Not that I didn't yeah. like her in the adaptation, but I feel like there's more to her in the book. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about most of the persuasion adaptations is it's always like, I feel like Anne is a lot stronger than the people playing them and the adaptations give them her credit for. Like, yeah, I don't, uh, maybe not stronger, but like, they always, and I understand because there's so much like internal conflict that it always comes across as like, I'm sad, but I feel like it's way more complicated than that. Cause I'll tell you my big revelation for this book, this reading <laughs> is that, and I'm sure you'll see a lot in the recap is, Anne is, she should be on like CSI. She can read people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, she's always like, oh, that minute expression. I know exactly what you mean by that. And yes. I'm like, whoa, girl, <laughs> you're so good at observation of people. Like you should be a detective in a detective series. And yes. so. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that. I would say out of all of Jane Austen's heroines, she's probably the most observant and I feel like she understands people the most because like like you said all these little she'll bring up all these little expressions and be like I know exactly what you're thinking (laughs) I know exactly what's coming next and I don't know I just I I do totally get that and I feel like I'm since I'm like doing more of the notes side and I've been reading more into like the making of the book and everything I feel like um and it might be like painfully obvious to Austin fans, but I feel like Anne is such a mirror of Jane. Yeah. Especially at the time because she was like dying, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And probably a lot more thoughtful about like choices she had made in the past and what people are, you know, really all about. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I, I just, 
I, I kind of like really appreciate it. And I think it makes me really interested in this book because I feel like I'm kind of getting a sneak peek in directly into Jane's like thoughts of the time and yeah. kind of what she was going through. And I feel like she's just essentially telling us almost like her own story. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of like about what do you value in a person? Yeah. Because so much of it is like putting, you know, the poorest, but nicest people against like the richest, but snobbiest, most right. stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of really good characters. I mean, not like, no. like, I don't know. We'll, we'll definitely get into it. There's so much to get into. Mm-hmm. I guess we're kind of already starting on our first impressions, but did you have it? I know you said you liked it. Was there any, do you have any specific first impressions to say? Yeah, I just like I it almost like immediately I noticed like the difference in Northanger Abbey yes. from <laughs> from this book because Northanger Abbey it felt so young to me like it felt like this is a young author and mm-hmm. she was like just writing a really fun story and she was totally leading into the comedy and to the silliness of everything and this one it feels like there's not as much comedy in it but it feels more serious in a more trying to think of like the word like it's more introspective and kind of like questioning things about the world and it just makes it so much more interesting because it makes you think about these characters and makes you think about Anne and it almost like makes you like want to be Anne in a way (laughs) (laughs) and just kind of like just observe people well that made me think I would love to see Catherine Moreland and Anne I feel like they would make a really good team because, you know, Anne is such a good observer and detective Mm -hmm. and Catherine is like, so she also kind of wants it to be, but she's just never making the right deductions. So it would be fun to see like, if you just, you know, made your own new modern adaptation or something and put Catherine Moreland and Anne as like a detective team where Anne is showing mm-hmm. Catherine the Rose. That would be like <laughs> an amazing story. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one thing I also thought was how between Anne and Catherine, like how they would kind of complement each other so well, like Catherine would kind of make Anne come out of her shell more and, and would kind of mature Catherine in like a very, like a, the more like correct way rather than her having to mature (laughs) through traumatic things Um, (laughs) through wrong (laughs) through me through mean men who yell at her but (laughs) I did think I was like I don't know if this is like cheesy and a stupid idea but I kind of like want to see it sort of like Jane Austen quote-unquote adaptation when all the heroines somehow like interact with each other or like meet somehow (laughs) because I feel like they all just complement each other so well like I really love the idea of Anne and um oh god names <laughs> we no, just watched Frederick. it Frederick? no it's from um Sanditon <laughs> oh, oh, oh Charlotte <laughs> Charlotte yes Charlotte <laughs> I would love to see them interact together because they're kind of almost two sides of the same point too yeah that'd be fun I think uh-huh. if Sanditon stayed a series and you know like new people took it over or whatever it could mm-hmm. just be like all the like Anne comes to visit Sanditon and uh, then Elizabeth yes. Bennett comes to visit Sanditon yes <laughs> Captain <please>. Moreland comes <laughs> in my woodhouse <laughs> is ITV listening we have an amazing idea it would be amazing <laughs> <laughs> uh, that yeah. would be so cool 
I will say for my first impression mm-hmm. until now, whenever I've gone through and done like a read through of all of Jane Austen or watching of all the stuff, I would say Sanditon is probably kind of not Sanditon <laughs> persuasion <laughs> is kind of, um, has been always kind of at the bottom of my list. Not that I don't like it. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's not as funny and right. But I really different. Do, yeah. It's definitely different and it's not, you know, that I don't like it, but it just doesn't necessarily, it's never just been my favorite, you know? Right. I, I think the adaptations aren't, uh, even though there's one that we haven't watched yet that is like super popular, I might've actually revived the Jane Austen renaissance of uh-huh. adaptations, but yeah, so um, not, not my favorite, but I really found a lot more to like pick out of it. And this time I didn't do it by audiobook book. I did it by like, reading which mm-hmm. actually helped me like slow down and because you know honestly I don't know if I've ever picked up this book and read it like with my eyeballs <laughs> I think I've only <laughs> ever listened to it before I mean several uh-huh. times but uh, you know it's just kind of a little bit of a different experience especially when yeah. you're like you know recapping everything that happens but what I did remember was and we're going really long on this section, but um, okay. we had there's two <laughs> persuasion adaptations that are in the process of being made right now. Right. I think I, we had heard of one of them before, like me and you had talked about it. Mm-hmm. It's like a, ma- a motion, major motion picture that they just have been doing casting for. And right. they have a person of color playing Wentworth, which is very exciting. Ooh. But there's a new one that they just announced that Netflix is doing and they have, Dakota Johnson, right? Yes, Bane and Elliot. So that'll be yes. interesting. I did see that yesterday, and I got really excited because I like Dakota Johnson. She was so good in Suspiria, <laughs> and it and it's very like female centric and like all uh-huh. about like you know sisterhood and friendship in a very dark and scary movie way. <laughs> but <laughs> so that makes me excited for this new adaptation. Yeah. I've, I've seen some people be like, well, this one looks better than this one. But honestly, bring me all the adaptations. You know, I love yes. them all. Because <laughs> every interpretation has something different for me to find. <laughs> exactly. As long as they throw lots of money at it, it will be good. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> We've got five more episodes of Persuasion, so let's go ahead and get to the notes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so notes for Persuasion. One little like fun thing that I found with my book. Did you have? Do you have the same book as me? No, I actually no. only read the like plain illustrated I didn't have okay I think I have an annotated but I didn't look at it okay well I mean I personally like the annotated one just because sometimes it'll like give me like little like oh yeah notes on like maybe like why they're saying it this way or like what this was back then honestly Um, knowing that you were doing an annotated one made me feel like oh you don't have to do it by (laughs) (laughs) that's totally fine because um but something I found was cool was the little picture on the front is actually um, a portrait of Jane Austen. Oh. Yeah, it's a watercolor sketch of her by her sister Cassandra. Oh. And it says that it was made when they were visiting Lyme Regis on the southern coast of England, which I guess 
plays a role in persuasion. And I could tell that she must have been there and loved it by her description of it when we get to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very it, apparently it's described as very fine and she loved like the natural beauty of it. And so I thought that was so cool though. I was like, oh, like a actual portrait of her on the book. That's cool. Really cool to open to. <laughs> so but it's on the annotated uh, persuasion that's annotated and edited by David M. Shepard. So if you want something special. Uh, awesome. You should see my copy. I, I don't have it with on me right now, but it's like torn up from <laughs> the last two weeks. <laughs> Just folded pages and notes everywhere. And <laughs> people who value spines of books would not like to look at that book. <laughs> Okay, so for this first episode, I was thinking for like notes, I would kind of just do like general specs about the book and kind of general things about it. Yeah. It was the last novel that was Jane Austen fully completed. And it was published at the end, I think December of 1817, which was six months after her death. So it was published postmortem. And it was published by this British publishing house called John Murray, who... Uh I was looking up and I'm going to pull it up really quick because they have like a list of famous authors that they've published from like back then. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So John Murray Publishing House, they have quite a list of famous authors uh, other than Jane Austen. They've also published uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Lord Byron, and Charles Darwin. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. And a bunch of other people that I think are probably famous, but I'm not very well versed into <laughs> old British novels. So. I think that's enough. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really interesting how they just kind of have this history of like really notable people yeah. in history. Maybe there weren't that many publishers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder. Probably not. <laughs> I can't imagine. But what I thought was interesting was when John Murray published persuasion they published it with Northanger Abbey in a four volume set right I remember that which is really interesting <laughs> yeah about. it's kind of perfect in a way be like yeah earliest work latest work <laughs> yeah it's kind of like almost like I don't know if they attended it but it was almost like a packaging like marketing idea like yeah her first and her last yeah and then persuasion apparently was not Jane's choice for the title of the novel it was chosen by her brother Henry and they were saying that there's nothing really saying what she wanted to name it, but apparently to her family, she always referred to it as the Elliots. And so they're uh, assuming that, that she was kind of planning on that being the title. I see. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes sense. The way it opens is so like yeah. Sir Walter centric. So yeah, but I kind yeah. of like just the one word persuasion. It just I do too, so... because I feel like that's kind of, it, it fits better. If it's the Elliots, then it's like, why... I don't care about Elizabeth or Sir Walter. (laughs) (laughs) See, I only care about Anne. The rest of them can go away. (laughs) And then the last little bit I had was apparently after publishing this book is when her her real identity was revealed as the author of all these books. After she died. I know. uh, Her brother Henry published like a biographical kind of... um, Oh, yeah Reveal thing. I guess you could say like a little thing about her saying how she wrote all these books and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, oh, she couldn't even enjoy it while she was alive. Oh, so sad. <laughs> but I thought that was so interesting. There's so much about this book, and that was just for like the first episode. I was like, there's so much. I have so much <laughs> material to work with. 
Awesome. Well, I can't wait to get to all of it. Mm -hmm. But I guess for now, let's go ahead and start the recap. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we start chapter one. I guess did, we probably should have said at the beginning, this week we're doing chapters one through five. But, <laughs> I think I, I maybe said it when we opened, but I don't remember. So if not, okay. <laughs> one through well, five. If not, we'll tell you at the end which ones we're doing next. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we start off talking about Sir Walter. He never read unless it was this baronetage or whatever, this book he has. Yes. <laughs> He especially likes to read his own personal history in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I didn't know what it was. And there's like a little note saying like what oh, yeah. it was. And it was just, it, it's like the most Sir Walter, like self-indulgent, <laughs> like dumb thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I assume it's like a history of the Baron, ba Baronets. Bar yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a book no. listing the baronets, and it says baronets are like hereditary knights. Yeah, and they're both like because you call a knight like a sir, but knights don't hand it down like hereditarily. It's oh, but baronets uh, do. I see, I see. So they're considered more prestigious than knights because they can pass it on for forever. <laughs> Interesting. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, the entry Elliot of Kellich Hall was the entry the book always <laughs> opened to because it had been read so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I just need like a goof kind of like funny thing at the beginning of the next adaptation of that. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, why is it opening to this one always? So many of her books start with like a little quip or a little whatever. And I was like, it's really interesting that this one starts with Sir Walter always reads this book about himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. <laughs> and But we also get to find out a little bit about the family. He is a mar married to Elizabeth Stevenson, which actually I think is Jane Austen's mom's last name, her family's last name. Oh, really? Stevenson. That's cool. She died in 1800. She had a daughter, Elizabeth, born June 1st, 1785, and Anne, born August 9th, 1787, and a stillborn son, born in 1789, and then also Mary, born November 20th, 1791. Wow. Sir Walter had updated it with Mary's marriage to Charles, <laughs> son <laughs> and heir of Charles Musgrove, Esquire of Uppercross. <laughs> And he also updated it to give the precise day of his wife's death. He <laughs> <laughs> says the passage told the history of the ancient and respectable family. <laughs> okay. So we're starting off <laughs> high in the ranks of society. Seriously. Okay. So then we get, I have wrote down a quote. Vanity was the beginning and the end of Sir Walter Elliot's character. <laughs> <laughs> It, what's so funny is that <clears throat> in the adaptation, we see him and Elizabeth like very, like we can tell that they're very much like obsessed with being rich and, you know, uh -huh. whatever. But I feel like in the book, it is so, she points it out like so much that she's like, he wants to look beautiful and young forever. He, <laughs> yes. like, he If he had the access to plastic surgery, he wouldn't be doing it in a minute. All he ever talks about is people's looks. Yeah, which is so interesting it must, to me it must be horrible to grow up like that i mean 
just you know the pressure put on us nowadays you know my grandmother being like pinching me when she would hug me (laughs) but like sir walter's next level (laughs) (laughs) it must have been torture growing up with that no woman could think more of their appearance than he or any new formed lord be more delighted with the place they held in society looks and position (laughs) in society were the most important things in his eyes (laughs) (laughs) And we hear a little bit about Lady Elliot. She had been an excellent woman, sensible and amiable, except for that one time she married an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But she was able to smooth out and conceal his faults while she was alive. She was worried about the girls, but trusted her good friend, Lady Russell, to help guide them. Lady Russell, basically, after she died, I think, moved down the street and became a regular installment at Kellynch. Everyone kind of expected her and Sir Walter to marry, it seems like, but they didn't because Lady Russell had no need to remarry. (laughs) And there's no need to apologize to the public for that. (laughs) No, (laughs) she was probably like, "Um, no, thank you. (laughs) I know, it's really funny because she's like, she doesn't have to get remarried and the public doesn't need an apology for that. Sir Walter, however, (laughs) may have been expected to. (laughs) Right. Well, apparently, and it says in the book that the widows who remarried were often subject to disapproval um, Mm. because they were like supposed to be betrothed to their, you know, husbands for life. And right. You know, it's it's abandoning the family for another family, which is so like (laughs) garbage because, you know, just the widows, the, the men could obviously get remarried if they wanted to a million times. Lady Russell. Well, we'll get to her because I did a deep dive on her, but there's no Mm -hmm. indication like surface level that she had any children. So yeah. What what would be the problem? <laughs> but it, there I would I probably say, be a problem. Yeah, go Lady Russell. You don't want to remarry into this society if you don't have no, to. <laughs> not with Walter. <laughs> yeah, Sir Walter did make a couple of unreasonable applications in marriage, but was rejected. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and he declared that it was for his daughter Elizabeth's sake. <laughs> she sure. was yeah, she was 16 and seemed to be able to run things as well as her mother. And so the two the two other girls were kind of of inferior value in his eyes. Although Mary did acquire a little importance on marrying, but Anne's word held no weight and her conveniences were always to give way. She was only Anne. (laughs) So mean. I know. Lady Russell loves her best though. (laughs) I know. Well, it's such like middle child syndrome. (laughs) Yeah. Just kind of left to do nothing. Yeah. You don't have any value as a woman if you don't, get married although elizabeth's never married but she kind of like took over the mom's spot in a way she's kind of yeah. elizabeth, or no yeah. kind of an emma that way yeah 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 well apparently the wife of a baronet was like responsible for like running the house and the finances right which i thought was really interesting that they that it said that like with no interference from the husband like they just let them do everything with the money which <laughs> i immediately thought would probably be a nightmare with Sir Walter Elliot because I'm sure he's spending money left and right to be Seriously. this lavish, awful person. And then you <laughs> maybe... have this snobby 16-year-old girl who takes over. No wonder they're like in debt. <laughs> I know. They probably were like, now we could spend freely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anne had been pretty once, but her bloom had vanished early. And I kept wondering, is bloom like rosiness of the cheeks? Because they talk about bloom a lot <laughs> in this book. It says it's like the prime of beauty and the state of greatest loveliness. 
Her father basically wrote her off as having no hope of marrying someone suitable. Yeah. But he was pretty sure Elizabeth would someday. He was like, she looks great at 29. So he never thought of her as old. (laughs) (laughs) 29. That's pretty old. (laughs) (laughs) For back then, it was. Which is, it's pretty crazy. Because I always, for some reason, pictured Elizabeth as younger than Anne. And mm-hmm. I think she sometimes comes off as the oldest, probably because she's the smartest. Yeah. And, the most, and because everyone's like, like, she can't get married because she's too old. But Elizabeth is older and nobody says that about her. Exactly. Well, <laughs> it might be this like gross, weird, like she's not, like not really, but she's, you know, she's with her father. Like she's technically managing a family. So yeah, gross <laughs> <laughs> and stupid. <laughs> It says Elizabeth knew that she still looked good, but was not so sanguine about her age. So she hated to look at the baronet book, (laughs) the book of books, (laughs) (laughs) because it reminded her of when she was born. And she's apparently really on the lookout for another baron who she can marry. She really wants to marry a baron. Hopes she can get someone. Yeah. Well, when she was a girl, she was meant to marry William Walter Esquire. No, William Walter Elliot Esquire, the heir presumptive. Her father forced him to make their acquaintance in town and invited him to visit. And he said he would, but he didn't. And then the next year, the exact same thing happened. And then they heard that he married a rich lady of inferior birth. And Sir Walter, of course, resented that and thought he should have been consulted, especially after he shook the young man's hand in public and everything. (laughs) (laughs) this whole like dichotomy of like old money and new money and it's just so like but i don't i always like hate those kind of conversations especially people who are like inferior birth i'm like well "Well, she's not in debt (laughs) she might have old money but there's not much of it (laughs) exactly like she's not the one going into debt so yeah Okay, but then the younger Elliot's wife is now dead, but Elizabeth couldn't admit to him being worth thinking of again, especially after they heard that he was talking shit about the family. (laughs) (laughs) These Elliot's are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) The whole first chapter is very funny because it's the most narrator forward because most of it is not very narrator driven. Like we don't get all the quips about everybody that we normally get in a lot of her books. So this first chapter has a lot of funny (laughs) setting up of characters. (laughs) Yeah. So unfortunately, the family had some pressing concerns regarding debts. When Mama was alive, they could stay in their income. But without her, Sir Walter continuously overspent. And when he, but he realized this was happening. So he asked Elizabeth if they could save some money. And she she suggested no new furniture for the drawing room. Get rid of some charity donations and no yearly gift for Anne. <laughs> <laughs> that part, I mean, obviously the the charity thing is like really bad, but just the fact that she was like, and Anne doesn't get anything. Yeah. Oh, I get to not give her a present. That's good. <laughs> so mean. He mortgaged as much as he could, but refused to sell the house. And so they asked Lady Russell and another friend, their solicitor, Mr. Shepard, to figure out something for them. (laughs) Figure this out for us. Can can you two friends help us with our finances? Yeah. Okay. So chapter two, Mr. Shepard is a lawyer. 
he really didn't want to deal with the disagreeable bits of this conversation. So he basically leaves it up to Lady Russell. (laughs) And she thought a lot about it, but she really didn't want to hurt Sir Walter's feelings or discredit the family because she's got some ideas about nobility herself. Yeah. She was generally good and charitable, but had a little too much respect for ancestry and value for rank and consequence, which blinded her a little to those who possessed them. Her husband (laughs) was a knight, so she is like, oh, (laughs) the nobility. (laughs) Which is, it was interesting to read that apparently knights are the lowest on the nobility totem pole. Mm mostly because they can't like hand it down to like their child their children so if they had a son he wouldn't be a sir but it was just it was interesting to think about how they were like knights are the lowest so so even the nobility (laughs) they value it the most but even like the like people of like quote-unquote noble birth would always look down upon knights as like you're the lowest right but if you keep the ancestry at least the knights can look down on the common people still (laughs) exactly it was it's all a game of looking down yeah okay so lady russell drew up some plans of economy and did the one thing no one before her had considered she consulted anne (laughs) (laughs) smart anne was ready to get these debts cleared and suggested a lot of economies and if they had done what she said they would have been debt free in seven years and thought it was an act of duty to clear their debts which i'm like yeah (laughs) you should be running around town owing everybody money and pretending to be the best exactly but lady russell had no success at all i think because anne was like do it all at once and lady russell was like no we need to make it easier for them so like half as much and she's like they're not gonna care whether it's you're getting rid of two horses or four horses just get rid of it (laughs) (laughs) i also want to be like how many times are they riding those horses exactly (laughs) (laughs) they just want so they can can be like i have five horses (laughs) yeah so lady russell has no success at all they i think sir walter says what every comfort of life knocked off journeys london servants horses table contractions (laughs) and restrictions everywhere to live no longer with the decencies even of a private gentleman no he would sooner quit Kellynch Hall at once than remain <laughs> on such disgraceful terms. <laughs> Every once in a while, Ridiculous. throw out a good quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, as much as an annoying person he is, he does have the best quotes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so immediately Mr. Shepard jumps on the idea, thinking that if they moved, that would be the best bet. So after a little flattery on his part, Sir Walter agrees. And now they just have to figure out where to go. It comes down to three different things. They could either go to London, Bath, or another smaller home in the neighborhood. And Anne really wants to move into the smaller home in the neighborhood so she can (laughs) still see her friends and marry. And Sir Walter wants to go to London, of course. But Mr. Shepard does not think he can be trusted in London. (laughs) (laughs) He can't be trusted anywhere, but... <laughs> right, right. I would say London's probably the least trustworthy place for him. Yeah, because then he's really going to have to be hustling to be on top. So mm-hmm. he skillfully dissuades him. And we know one thing for certain, which is that Anne hates Beth. <laughs> <laughs> but Lady Russell doesn't really believe Anne when she says she hates it. She's like you just didn't like it that one time you were there because you were in a bad mood. 
<laughs> and she also thinks that she's lying to herself about being happy to stay in the neighborhood. Mm. So she basically goes against Anne's wishes and says, Beth is perfect. <laughs> and I wrote, even Lady Russell, who loves her best, doesn't really listen to her. <laughs> no. Or doesn't believe what she says. <laughs> no. And it's like, I think it's, we find out later that the reason she was in a bad mood in Bath was because of her and Wentworth. Yeah. Dissolution. And it's like, so rude for her to throw that in her face. It's like, yeah, <laughs> she was in a bad mood because she just broke up with the love of her life. Yeah. So that's why you don't like it. Yeah, right. Okay, so turns out they also have to rent the house. And Sir Walter thinks that that's a degradation, so won't let them advertise it. <laughs> <laughs> and Lady Russell has another reason for them wanting to leave, or for wanting them to leave. She doesn't like Mr. Shepherd's daughter, Mrs. Clay, who is recently widowed. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Clay and Elizabeth have become besties, And Elizabeth always wants to invite Mrs. Clay in the place where Anne should be. Elizabeth, however, never listens to or takes advice from Lady Russell. (laughs) So anyway, Uh, so that's okay. Chapter two. So now we're on to chapter three. Okay. So there's some lucky timing. This book has a lot of lucky timing, (laughs) which I've seen some articles about Sir Walter because I actually saw an article I might have a deep dive on this so maybe I shouldn't say it but like this coincidence according to a lot of people is way better set up than like the ones at the end and so they think that because her health was failing that maybe the end is a little more clunky but uh-huh. anyway we'll get to that so this is the first lucky timing for Sir Walter because there's finally peace and all the naval officers are coming home and they're all, they've all been made rich by the war and they're all looking for places to live. Uh, I said, Mr. Shepard is definitely a lawyer because he can talk in circles for entire paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I, I felt like at some points when I was reading him talking, I was like, let me reread that passage because <laughs> 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 kind of got lost in there. Yeah. Mrs. Clay pipes up with how neat and tidy naval men are. Everything would be well taken care of. And they're both trying to convince Sir Walter, but he doesn't really seem very happy about the idea. Anne speaks up for the Navy. She says, the Navy, I think, who have done so much for us, have at least an equal claim with any other set of men for all the comforts and all the privileges which any home can give. Sailors work hard enough for their comforts, we must allow. Mr. Shepard and Mrs. Clay heartily agree, but Sir Walter replies, the profession has its utility, but I should be sorry to see any friend of mine belonging to it. (laughs) (laughs) He's the worst because we like soon find out that he's like, they start to look ugly a lot earlier. So I don't like them living in my house. I know. I mean, they didn't like, you know, keep war from your shores and make you still stay rich but whatever (laughs) yeah and i i didn't realize it but apparently this was like two wars Mm. going on it was the napoleonic wars Uh and the war of 1812 which was like a yeah so it was like european battlefronts and then atlantic slash american battlefronts so the Uh british navy was like split everywhere yeah, so there are probably a ton of naval people all coming back. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, th- yeah, what you were saying, <laughs> Sir Walter doesn't like it. It's in two points offensive to him. 
First, it raises persons of obscure birth due to undue distinction. Snob, snob, snob. Second, it cuts <laughs> off a man's youth and vigor. Most horribly, a sailor grows old sooner than any other man, which is what you were just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I shouldn't have repeated you, but I just wanted to say the way no, Walter, Walter said it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's just funny to think about because he's he's just like, <laughs> just get uglier so much faster and I, I can't know. stand it. This <laughs> is so ridiculous. Okay, so... As it happened, the very first inquiry into letting the house was from an Admiral Croft who had grown up in the area and was looking to move back after having become rich in the Navy. When Sir Walter asks about him, Anne pipes up with his condensed naval history. <laughs> She's just, I know, I'll tell you. Nobody <laughs> else seems to care. <laughs> from what Shepard says, it seems like Croft was expectant of and and agreeable to all of Sir Walter's demands about the use of the house. He said he didn't need much. He did like to walk out with his gun, but never shot anything. It's like, oh, he's sweet. <laughs> Just sets him up as sweet right off the bat. <laughs> yes, I love him. His wife also seems smart and was from the area. Now, I was saying earlier that there weren't a lot of good characters, but the Crofts are definitely an exception. They are oh, great. I love them. <laughs> yes, I do like, is it Lady Croft? Is that how she goes by? Or is it Mrs. Croft? Mrs. Croft, yeah. Mrs. Croft, right. Because she's not blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, whatever Sir Walter Elliott said. Uh, <laughs> I do. I really like her, especially when we start to find out like her, I think we'll find out in the next episode, but like her views on like, BFC yes. and all that stuff like she yeah. feels like such a modern woman at the time which I think I is so cool I, I love her she would definitely go into any weird mashup adaptation I made she would have to be in there <laughs> yes so Mr. Shepard is trying to remember the name of Mrs. Croft's family he's like Monkford <laughs> and, and corrects him you mean Wentworth I suppose um, Sir Walter's like oh that nobody and Shepard drops it <laughs> <laughs> All in all, Sir Walter is much happier to be renting to an Admiral Croft than a Mr. So-and-so, and Elizabeth is also ready to get out. Anne, however, has to leave the room to cool her flushed cheeks because <laughs> she's talking about Wentworth. And as she walks, she thinks a few months more, and he perhaps may be walking here. Ugh. But we haven't really found out about him yet. We just kind of get this little hint. I like the way that chapter ends with that one sentence. And yeah. in my book, it's like italicized and bold. Like, he will be here. I know. We're really starting to get into Anne's head now. Yes. Less narrator, more Anne. So chapter four. He was not Mr. Wentworth, the former curate of Monkford, but Captain Frederick Wentworth, his brother. In the summer of 1806, he had stayed with his brother. Both their parents were dead. He, although I don't know if they're all, I don't know if all of these Wentworth kids, like Mrs. Croft and these two boys all have the same, both parents. I wasn't clear about that, but I think maybe they did. So Ian, he and Anne had been acquainted and rapidly fell in love. They had both thought that the world, oh, they both thought the world of each other. And she accepted his proposal and they were super happy, but... Their happiness soon faltered when they applied to Sir Walter. He never outright forbade the match, but he literally had nothing good to say about it. 
He's like, I'm not going to give you any money, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't say, I forbid you to do this. But Lady Russell didn't like it either. She thought Anne would be throwing herself away to marry this man with no connections and an uncertain profession at 19 years old. He was cocky and confident and that he would be successful and rich someday. Oh, he was cocky and confident that he would be successful and rich someday. And Anne totally bought into all of his bravado, but Lady Russell did not. And she thought that he um, had just the kind of attitude to get himself killed, basically. (laughs) Which I can understand. You know, you're talking about like a 20-year-old boy who's like, I'm going to be famous one day. I'm going to make my millions. Don't you worry. And Lady Russell's like, "Uh, yeah, Anne's 19, which you're not really an adult in this society till you're 21. And so I think like the ideal age for a girl to be married would be like 21 or 22. Yeah. I think that's like your window of best, most opportune time. But anyway. Okay. So, but I do like that lady Russell, I kind of understand where lady Russell's coming from with like looking at him at that age and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I totally like saw that. And I, cause I'm sure it was more like she was asking Anne, like, are you sure? Like maybe like appealing to Anne being like, maybe just think about this rather than being, this is a horrible idea and he's not really rich and you should not marry a poor person. Yeah. It wasn't so much that as like, this is, this boy is going to get himself killed. You're being like a widow or, you know, engaged to, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You'll be widowed pretty much. And you're technically not supposed to remarry. So yeah. Stupid. So Anne was worn down by the forces against her and convincing herself she was actually doing this for Wentworth's own good. She broke the engagement. He then feeling himself ill-used, I think basically gave her like an earful and left town because <laughs> it didn't seem like a very good last meeting. Like he was like, no. how dare you? Blah, 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 blah. I'm leaving. Goodbye. And that was it. <laughs> it like the whole thing only lasted a few months, but it took Anne a long time to get over it. Seven years later, it's not so bad anymore, but time was all she basically had to mend her heart. No vacations or friends to talk to about it. It was just like, well, I just have to, over time, let my, it stop being so painful. (sighs) She needs some therapists, some girls to gab about. (laughs) (laughs) Some girls to take her out for the night. She needs to just go see Charlotte and Georgiana in um, (laughs) Sanditon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, no other romantic interests either take her mind off of it. She did have one proposal back in 22 by Charles Musgrove, who she um, turned down, but subsequently wed her sister, Mary. <laughs> Lady Russell was not happy about that one. <laughs> <laughs> or like, what are you doing? <laughs> Anne says she doesn't blame herself or Lady Russell about the past, but now knew that if any young person should ask her advice on a similar circumstance, she would advise as lady, she wouldn't advise as lady Russell had. Hmm. She thinks that she would definitely be happier now if she hadn't refused Wentworth. He had actually succeeded in becoming rich and successful and, and had no reason to believe him married. So he's still available. Although, okay, all this talk that she gives the whole book about how I would give different advice now, I keep thinking, well, what if Louisa had asked you that advice? 
Hmm. We haven't gotten there yet, but I'm like, mm, I don't know if you would necessarily give that advice. But. <laughs> she would tell her to jump off the highest cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure he's not looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she says she's been she had been forced into prudence in her youth, but she had learned romance as she grew older. The natural sequel to an unnatural beginning. And all this talk of Wentworth is enough to make Anne sigh all over the place and give herself <laughs> mini stern talking to's <laughs> about her folly and still caring. And <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I have given myself that talking to so many times about so many people. <laughs> 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 Why do you still care about them? <laughs> yes. I think this is what makes Anne so relatable. It's like, we've all been there and yeah. we've all been like, you need to grow from this. Right. Get away from it. <laughs> Uh, the only three people who even knew of the engagement all basically pretend like it never happened. Um, two of them most likely because they didn't bother to remember it, Elizabeth and Sir Walter. (laughs) And she's hoping that since no one else really knows about it, that it won't be too awkward. Hmm. Well, it's hard for Anne not to be a little awkward. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And now we just have chapter five. Okay. So conveniently, Anne, left the day the Crofts came to see Kellynch. <laughs> Very convenient. But she heard about it. Everyone seemed pleased with each other. Uh, Sir Walter declared the Admiral the best looking sailor he had ever met with. And we know that that's the most important thing to him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Admiral thought Sir Walter, Sir Walter would never set the Thames on fire, but there seems to be no harm in him. I thought that was the most <laughs> funny expression. <laughs> well, he'll never set the Thames on fire, but there's no harm in him. <laughs> uh, they plan on moving out within the month. Uh, Lady Russell thought Anne would be of no use picking out the house and bath, <laughs> basically because no one was going to listen to what she had to say anyway. Right. And... So basically was trying to figure out a way to keep her there with her for a while. She didn't have to worry about that though, because Mary found herself ill very conveniently and anticipated remaining ill all fall. So called for Anne to come take care of her. (laughs) I'm like, I I want her and Diana and Arthur to meet and... (laughs) Be ill dramatic people together. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait to get into Mary because I was like, I find Mary so much better in the book than in any of yes. the adaptations. I, yeah, I think she's so funny. And yeah, I think it's almost like a little, she's being like tongue in cheek about everything. Like it feels like she's aware of how funny she is. <laughs> to me, at least. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely get into that when we get to her, to her a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, Elizabeth is sure that no one's going to want Anne and Bath, so she better stay. <laughs> She's such a bitch. Elizabeth is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Anne was just happy to be wanted and needed somewhere. Lady Russell had almost forgot about Mrs. Clay, but <laughs> Anne also did not trust Mrs. Clay. Uh, not because she felt slighted, but because she thought she had designs on her father. She tries to tell Elizabeth who basically would be the most affected if Mrs. Clay were to marry Sir Walter. Elizabeth's like, I think I know her better than you do. She knows her place. Plus dad thinks she's ugly anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And then goes into a description about why. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. 
<sighs> I know she's like, she likes to have her around, I think, because she's like, she's not as pretty as me. So I'm always going to look pretty next to her and, you know, richer and cooler. Right. She's just like a comparison person to have next to her at all times. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so interesting that freckles she's really are good at sucking up to her. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting that freckles are like a sign of being ugly. Oh yeah. I can't wait till we get to that. That's not till the end though. The gowans freckle remover stuff. Oh, I guess she does talk about her freckles at the beginning, though. Yeah, because she's like, this is why she's ugly. She's got yeah. freckles and a projecting <laughs> tooth. Yeah, they hated any sort of dark skin at all. I'm yeah, I'm like, well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, if you can't see blue through the skin, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see your veins. <laughs> uh, okay, so the Elliots leave with bowels for everyone who would miss them. So um, Anne and Lady Russell stay together for a little bit and seem the only ones to be actually sad about the move. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Russell takes Anne to Uppercross, although I might switch to Lady R every now and again because I got so sick of writing down everyone's stupid names all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, she's taking her to Uppercross on her way out of town. Mary and Charles, they live in an updated parsonage near the main house. Mary is cool and fun when everyone is paying attention to her, but when she feels neglected, she gets very ill. (laughs) (laughs) When Anne Anne arrives, Mary greets her with, so you're come at last. I'm beginning (laughs) to think I should never see you. I'm so ill. I can barely speak. I've not seen a creature this whole morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a friendly greeting. I, I I like Anne's reply to her because it it is like I could totally I read it as Anne just like dead face, like <laughs> I am sorry to find you unwell. <laughs> like just knows her sister. Yes. Like, all right, here we go. Oh yeah. Anne knows. As we will find out. <laughs> Charles has gone out shooting. The boys, the boys are there. They're just too noisy to bear. <laughs> not really alone (laughs) she's like i just can't be around children right now her kids uh she complains about the musgrove girls and the party she went to last night she rallied for that um (laughs) she doesn't believe Anne could have been all that busy getting ready to move so she should have come earlier And Anne assures her that she had plenty to do, including she had to go to every house in the neighborhood and take their leave at her father and Elizabeth's insistence. (laughs) Although I'm sure people are probably fine seeing Anne say goodbye, but if... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So as Anne sits and talks to Mary, she... Mary seems to greatly improve and soon suggests they go for a walk. But first they have to go visit the Musgroves. Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove, we're told, are friendly and hospitable, not much educated, (laughs) and not at all elegant. They have three grown-up children, Charles, Henrietta, and Louisa. Henrietta and Louisa are 19 and 20. They um, they also had a grown-up son who we'll meet or we'll hear about later. (laughs) And I guess a lot of little children who are at school. (laughs) They just had a lot of kids. A lot of kids. Uh, The girls though, are fashionable, happy, and merry, 
and Anne wasn't jealous of them except in their good relationship to each other because she never had a real close sister like that. Right. Mary and Anne are greeted cordially when they come. And by their time, their half hour chat was over. The Mrs. Musgroves had agreed to join them on their walk. And that is the (laughs) end of chapters one through five. (laughs) It's so good. And we're just getting into it. I know we're just getting started. We just basically (laughs) met all the characters at this point. Not even all of them, but. Most of them. Yeah. A good portion of them. And just getting to Uppercross, which is like the whole first half of the book, basically. I know. I <laughs> For some reason, I was like, I feel like I'm misremembering the adaptation because I'm like, we're not even close to Bath yet. And I'm yeah. like, we're doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I forgot that we have this whole long yeah. thing up across. And, which you know. I don't know. I almost prefer the beginning section. I, yeah. I like the end too. But like the whole Uppercross stuff is just fun and I don't know. It's just, I like that. It feels like she's more playful in the beginning with these characters. And it's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> they're just all ridiculous, aren't they? Except for Anne. She's the only normal one. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have a favorite part in chapters one through five? <laughs> um, I would say my favorite part is definitely when Anne shows up at Mary's. That is like, I laughed out loud. And especially my favorite line of that is when Mary says, Oh, Anne, I'm so very unwell. It was quite unkind of you not to come on Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying like, how rude of you not to come earlier because I'm so sick. I'm so neglected. Before you said you would. (laughs) (laughs) I just love, I think, uh, I think Mary is my favorite. As of this point in the book, she's just so funny to me and feels like so self-aware and is totally fine with herself just being dramatic. And I love it. (laughs) I do. Um, I'll say for my favorite, I really, um, I also like Sir Walter a lot, even though he mm-hmm. is so superficial and such a snob, <laughs> but I don't feel like there's like a lot of malice behind it. It's just, he's just so surface level. And yeah. I find him to be very funny. <laughs> yes. even though he's not a great person, but I think I would like to laugh at him a lot. <laughs> yes. He would be the one where he would be you know, very sincere in saying something and you would just start laughing and he would have no idea why you're laughing. (laughs) You know, you could so easily get on his good side. All you have to do is be like, oh, you're looking good today, Sir Walter. (laughs) Not a a freckle or projecting tooth in sight. (laughs) Your skin is so alabaster. (laughs) (laughs) Which is essentially how uh, Miss Clay is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. Stupid. Uh. Um, what's next? Uh, deep dive? Yes. Or do we have a, okay. Yeah. Deep dive. Yeah. I feel like we don't need to do a lot of the extra stuff because we just, we're covering so much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So hopefully... This is the only one that I did with that had a little bit of like actual book stuff in it. So hopefully I'm not repeating what you said. This book was basically started right after Emma was finished and completed a few months after or a few months before her death. During its progress, her health was slowly failing and her brother Henry was also having some kind of illness. 
at the same time. And there was some family trouble, quote unquote. I'm not sure what that, maybe money or something. And it was all affecting Jane's spirits, producing a perceptible decline in her customary vivacity and animation. She was just becoming more of a confirmed invalid during the whole process of writing this book. And because first she gave up her walks for a donkey cart rides. And finally, she ended up spending most of her time on an improvised couch made of chairs because she didn't want to kick her aged mother off the sofa. (laughs) Everyone is sick in this family. I know. But she worked continuously through, though some have detected a sadness of impending calamity present in persuasion. And they think that's mirrored of her real life. So sad. Yeah. And after she finished writing it, she rallied a little bit at the start of 1817 and started writing Sanditon. Um, It wasn't really named yet, but that's when she was writing that. She wrote the first 12 chapters, but by March 17th, she had written her last date upon the manuscript and she died in July. Uh. And of the persuasion of Anne, she wrote to a friend, you you may perhaps like her as she is almost too good for me. Oh, <laughs> that is so sweet. She likes a flawed character. Yeah. Okay. So, but for the deep dive for sorting, I decided we should do Sir Walter Elliot since he <laughs> makes such an impression here at the beginning. <laughs> so I looked up what zodiac signs are the most vain and obsessed with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to find Mr. Uh, Sir Walter Elliot. <laughs> And surprise, surprise, number one was Leo. (laughs) 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 Okay, I'll read the description. I have two choices for this one. Okay, Okay, so Leo, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, of course, Leo is one of the vainest zodiac signs. Leo puts pride on the map. When You're So Vain comes on the radio, Leo thinks that song is about them. (laughs) (laughs) Leo is vain and loves it. It's expected. It's a point of pride. Self-love and the grabbing of the spotlight is what comes with this sign and Leo folks for all their vain, glorious actions actually make this an attribute enjoyable to watch. Leo may need constant affirmation for their beauty and ability, but they're one of a few signs that make giving them all that attention worthwhile. (laughs) (laughs) And then we also have Libra. Okay. Libras are subtle when it comes to demanding attention for their looks, but they are dead serious when it comes to your reaction. (laughs) (laughs) While they may come across as nonchalant and easygoing, they will also be the first to send you a hundred photos of themselves just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) a libra with a camera is a person with a mirror (laughs) these folks aren't into landscape art they're into themselves as art and even though they might have you believing that they don't care what you think they care (laughs) oh yes they care libra wants (laughs) approval whether they act like it or not (laughs) (laughs) i love this one (laughs) i Um, couldn't decide which one was more sir walter though yeah, I, I they're both really spot on. I'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards Leo. Mm-hmm. Just because it seems like he doesn't seem as like I feel like Libras would be a little bit more like 
almost trying to like uh, seem like they're not like, oh, like I'm not really interested in my looks, but they want you to say something, which yeah. I feel like Leos are like, per that description would be Look like, yeah, <laughs> what, do you do? what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like he's definitely, he's a little bit more upfront about it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to look up because I don't remember if it actually had his birth date on here. Oh. No, um, I don't think it said his birthday. No. It had some other ones. Anne would be a Leo according to- I have his birthday. Oh, you do? What's his birthday? Uh, March 1st. That would make him Pisces? No. (laughs) (laughs) He's very emotional if you tell him that he's ugly. (laughs) We're just going to- Go with our own signs on this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leo it is. It's not like Twin Peaks where they actually probably consulted an astrologer before they gave them birth dates. <laughs> probably, but you know. Okay, so then for D and D, I said either okay, so I pers- I first said either neutral or lawful evil. Mm-hmm. And then I took a quiz that was like a quiz of what I did it according to what I thought Sir Walter would answer. Yes. And on, um, I did two of them. One of them, I got neutral evil and the other one I got chaotic neutral. So <laughs> I have a lot of choices. <laughs> I immediately went to chaotic neutral mm-hmm. just because I remember like neutral in the second spot is more like they're not necessarily into like, you know, being good or evil, they're more <laughs> self-indulgent and whatever works best for them, yeah. which seems very fitting. Yeah. And I guess I would say chaotic just because you kind of don't know what you're getting with Sir Walter Elliot. I almost feel like it's lawful though, because they're so into like the rigid structure of society. That's true. That's the only reason I was going more for like lawful, but... um we could do that. Lawful neutral. Lawful neutral. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because I could totally, you know, see him being like, you know, well, I have to follow the rules because <laughs> I have a noble birth and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, yeah I'd like that. Lawful neutral. Okay. I don't actually have a, like a written down description of that. So you'll just have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll, they'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still rubbing my head around this whole D&D thing myself, so. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting, to say the least. (laughs) Any final thoughts on this section? I just, I don't know, I think it's, like, so much fun, and it's a really good introduction to the book because you kind of get that mix of more, like, sincerity with the comedy and all the ridiculousness of the characters, which just makes it more fun to read. So yeah. I was very happy to start with this chapter, yeah. group of chapters. It's a fun setup to see like where Anne is coming from, like what right. is her normal environment like? And although I don't even feel like we really get to know Anne all that much, we kind of find out about her and Wentworth a little bit, but we find out nobody really cares about her <laughs> except for Lady right. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I'm so excited to talk about the rest of this book. I'm really glad we're doing it like this in this like, you know, condensed recording Mm -hmm. way because I feel like, you know, all of the book is in my head now. So I can really think about everything. So that's fun. Yeah, so I'm just really excited. Next episode, we're going to have 
a special guest. So that'll be exciting. (laughs) And I guess it's time for recommendations. Yeah. I meant to last night be like, when I was writing uh, my last of my notes last night, I was like, make sure you write down some recommendations. And I did not. I've been keeping like a list, but I think the one I want to do is not even on this. Oh, no, it is. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Are we ready? (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Okay. So this week I'm going to recommend something that we've kind of already recommended on the podcast just because we had the author of this on the podcast, but, or one of the authors, Lauren Burke from Bonnets at Dawn. Her and Hannah Chapman, the other host, wrote a book called Why She Wrote that just came out. We did talk about it on that podcast, but it hadn't come out yet. And I just got it. And oh my gosh, I love it so much. It is so cute. It's this little hardback book. And I didn't realize, I know they talked about it being a graphic novel, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I really started flipping through the pages that I realized it's like a, like Eve, every section, it's, every section is a different author, but they all have like graphic novel portions of it. It's so pretty. It has a bookmark built into it, which is just like so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like this little piece of art in a book, and it's just so fun. I have only been able to read the like chapter on Jane Austen so far because <laughs> I've been working on this so much, I haven't had a chance to really read it. But just looking through it, I think it's so cute. I think. Anybody who loves classic literature, especially female authors, would really appreciate it. So do yourself a favor and go get Why She Wrote by Lauren Burke and Hannah Chapman. Yeah, I remember last time I saw you, like, looking through it really fast, and it looked so cool. Um, And I'm really into, like, this whole, like, the graphic novel kind of deal now because of of the, the... graphic novel Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Uh huh. I just got really into that maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And I just, I'm kind of like obsessed with them now. And so <laughs> I'm excited Well, once we kind of wrap up the persuasion just to kind of maybe buy the book and start reading. Cause now I'm like in such a reading mode now. Yeah. And I like want to read everything. So I'm definitely yeah. going to look into it. Yeah. That's one thing reading this book really kind of made me be like, oh, I, I'm, is, I feel like reading is one of those things you kind of have to like, you have to find something that catches your interest and then you can yeah. kind of get the ball rolling and you're like, oh, I just want to read now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm like definitely like I'm in the zone now <laughs> and I'm like ready to start reading. So I am definitely going to look into it. Awesome. All right. Well, for my recommendation, I'm going to recommend a documentary And it's the Tina Turner documentary on HBO Max. Oh, I didn't hear about that. No, it it recently came out this, I think this year, the beginning of it. And I, it's like, when I was growing up, my family wasn't really into like, we were like into music, but we didn't really listen to a lot of the like the oldies and stuff like that, like music. It was more contemporary music and a lot of like R&B growing up. And so I didn't really ever have like, you know, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner or like Linda Ronstadt or anything like on in the house. And so now as an adult, I've been going back and kind of like, you know, going through phases of listening to all their old stuff. And 
I um, just learned so much about Tina Turner as a person in this documentary Uh. and just like her upbringing and just like her trials and tribulations. And it's just so, she has one of the most interesting lives out of anyone I've ever heard of. Yeah, I I will have to watch that because I only know little tidbits, but like, doesn't she live in France or do something? Sweden. Oh, Sweden. (laughs) I think so. Sweden or Switzerland. I always get them mixed up. (laughs) But yeah, she, it's almost like the documentary is very bittersweet because, you know, she's in her 80s now and she's been performing since she was in her, what, like late teens, early 20s. (laughs) So I think the way it's framed is almost like she's like, this is her goodbye to the world. Um, Because she's like, I'm, you know, she's like, I don't want to perform anymore. I've kind of dedicated my life to performing. And she's like, I love it. But, you know, she wants to like, just live her life now. And I, which I totally understand. And seeing all she's given throughout her years, it's just like, what an incredible life. And it was just so great to hear all like the classic Tina Turner songs and, just to see her perform, like seeing her perform is such a crazy, like, unlike anybody else. So, you okay? We had a little technical snafu at this moment and never finished what we were saying. Sorry. Because of technical difficulties, we also wanted to ask if you were at all inclined. We have a donate button on our webpage. Yes. Mannersandmadness.com and... We need some new equipment because a lot of our equipment is failing us for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Technology. So if um, you're at all interested in giving us a little bit of financial support, we would really appreciate it. And you can find that on our website, mannersandmadness.com. And if you're interested in a Patreon, let us know because we are definitely open to that. We'd oh, love yeah. to be able to give you guys some more content. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had plenty of ideas for extra stuff to do and maybe fit in. So if you're interested, please let us know and we will be happy to work on that. Yeah. But um, otherwise, if you'd like to get in contact with us. Yes. You could email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You could leave us a DM on uh, Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you could leave a one-minute voicemail on our website, mannersmadness.com. Yes. And next week, well, next week we're doing Twin Peaks. Well, this is going to get so confusing to me. Um, <laughs> Twin Peaks <laughs> episode three. And uh-huh. when we come back for Persuasion, we, the week after, we'll be doing chapters six through nine. Yes. Good bit. <laughs> yes. So um, come back and watch along with Twin Peaks with us and read along Persuasion. We will see you with a Persuasion episode in two weeks with a special guest. Yeah, thank you for listening. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye.